Welcome to the Open Source Way. This is our podcast series, SAP's podcast series about the difference that open source can be. And in each episode, we will talk with experts about open source and why they do it the open source way. I'm your host, Carsten Hoage, and in this episode, I'm going to talk to Anna Jimenez Santamaria from the To Do Group. Hi, Anna. Hi, Nesavit here. Hi, Anna. Um, Anna works as the OSPO program manager of To Do Group at the Linux Foundation, that is. Uh, she advocates open source program office adoption and education across organizations worldwide. Uh, formerly, Anna worked at uh, Bitergia, or Bitergia, uh, I don't know. Correct. All right, that is a software development firm in analytics, and Anna has an MSc in data sciences uh, from URJC, which is uh, Universidad de Rey Juan Carlos, is that correct? Yeah, you did it. It's uh, Rey Juan Carlos University, that's correct. All right. Okay. And apart from having a master's degree in data science, I've learned so far you are a woman of many talents. Uh, for all you told me, uh, is it true that you sing Japanese in a band? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. In my spare time, I do have a band. I've been learning Japanese for almost eight years now. And then on the other hand, I sing. So I said, well, why not creating a band and singing in Japanese? Uh, so we had like an anime band singing fully in Japanese. And so are you famous in Japan already or? Oh, no, no. Uh, actually, so it has part of education to try to bring to the Spanish people like getting started into Japanese culture thanks to the music and uh, learning Japanese through the songs and so on. So it's targeted mostly for Spanish speakers. Okay, I have to confess that's probably necessarily all over Europe. I think there is one Japanese band that I'm aware of. They're pretty weird. Let's not mention that name uh, <laughs> unless uh, anyone should look it up. Anyway, except for these kind of things, you started in marketing at Biturgia. Yeah. Did you already have your data science degree then? No, actually, I always say it's been a weird journey, right? Like how someone that comes from marketing change to a developer or engineering role that is data science. So actually, I started in Viteria in a marketing position, but I then started quickly to move into move a DevRel role, community uh, building on open source projects because Viteria had a 100% open source platform. So that's why I get into open source. And by the time I got into open source, I wanted to deep dive more into data science because the company itself was about software development analytics. By that time, I already was like testing things in website development. I liked a lot learning about JavaScript, HTML, CSS, but that was all. So then I was like, why not learning Python? Why not learning machine learning models and, and how that works, getting more into statistic and engineering mindset. So. By the time I was in Viteria, because I spent there like three and a half years, I said, okay, there is this master's in data science. I know it's going to be hard. It was a really busy one year and a half there, but I just switched. And now my impression, my perception is that I can take the best of the both worlds, like what I learned in marketing and what I learned in data science and apply in my day-to-day -day job. 
Okay, so you started in marketing, went on to data science, uh, you speak Japanese, you make music. I take it you're one of those people who say language, arts, math, science, doesn't matter. I'm interested in all of them. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's more about like, what do you want to achieve? And whatever it takes, you just learn it. Okay, I sympathize with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anna, uh, let's get to our actual topic here. To-do group. Who is that? What is that? Well, for those who are not aware of Tudor Group, it's a Linux Foundation open source project and an open community of open source from office practitioners. So OSPO term, it's about organizations that are uh, managing open source strategy and operations. And they decide to pull like a dedicated team, group of people, open source specialists, to deal with that. So we found out that there was a big group of practitioners there, and that's why how the group was created. It's OSPO practitioners. There are people from organizations. There are also students participating there as contributors and helping to build educational staff and best practices on open source program offices. So could one say that the to-do group is basically the OSPO of OSPOs? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, technically, yeah, it's like a, an OSPO community. So it's you're going to find there are a lot of OSPO experts and professionals around. And would you happen to know how long has the to-do group been around? Yeah, so I think it started in 2012. That's been a long time, but it has evolved a lot because in the last few years, the OSPOs have been growing massively. So in the past, there was just a few big companies, mostly from the States, saying they have an OSPO. But now when you ask, even in Europe, in Asia, in other parts of America, you're going to find organizations saying they have an open source initiative dealing with policies and a strategy or an OSPO. And because that has evolved and has grown not only in the corporate side, but also in the public sector and public administrations even, the community itself has grown organically. Like we have tried to make sure to also welcome contributors and also practitioners worldwide and try to adapt the needs to specific regions as well. We see that here in Europe and especially Germany as well. There's companies where you kind of think, well, you do something industrial, something one can touch, and then you realize, wow, you have a strong software department of cars and you have an OSPO, okay, like Mercedes or someone. In the end, it's pretty obvious, but uh, one doesn't think like that at first. Anyway, did I understand that correctly? To-do group is more about strategy, organizational things, I don't know, community, not so much about the technical details. So it has also uh, content. So basically the main outcomes that we produce is best practices and guidelines because we, in our community, we say there is not broad template to build an OSPO. Like we cannot say this is how an OSPO should be structured because it's changed depending on the organizational culture. And that's why many OSPO practitioners just share in the public sphere the policies or the processes or best practices. And we try to put that in a neutral space that is to the group. Although if you go to the GitHub repo where all this information source code is public, you will see like there's a few projects like Repolinter that is more code 
a code project that links repos, like searching for does it have a readme file, does it have a contributing markdown file, it's run over on JavaScript, as far as I know. And that is, for instance, one example. But most of that, it's about content itself and contributing, uh, non making non-code contributions and certain best practices. Okay, so uh, it's guidelines. Uh, does it go by the name of guidelines or...? Yeah, so we have to do guides and uh, we also do reports and research studies. Like, for instance, we run a yearly status of OSPOS to try to understand how the OSPOS are evolving and get the posts on OSPOS worldwide. And also what they're concerned with and so on, or just like... So there are different questions. So, for instance, like how OSPOS are helping sustainability of open source projects, how are they dealing with security issues, the structure of the OSPOS, like is there any tendency or specific structure that a lot of OSPOS are adopting? Is that changing if you're talking with OSPOS in the States or OSPOS in Asia or OSPOS in Europe and more things? I, actually, to be honest, I think in a few months, the 2023 OSPOS survey will come out. So we will see what's going on. <laughs> okay. Provide us the link. Once it's there, then maybe we can post publication of this podcast even added to the podcast later on okay so i take it it's to do group is a place for discussion and community it produces publishes mostly guides guidelines sometimes tools like the repo linter you mentioned right okay um and who are the people in the end who create all these is that all just the I don't know, open source style, loose, uncommitted members? Or is there a certain level of commitment or levels or whatever? Yeah, so the Tudor structure, so we have the contributors. And if you go to the GitHub to do organization repos, you will find like a career lead ladder for people willing that they are willing to contribute, but they don't know how and they want to know like the contributors roles that exist the level of commitment, the benefits, and so on. So that is for contributors. You can become a maintainer of the Tudor group and Ospology, that is one of our most popular repos there. And then we have ways where the organizations or individuals can support Tudor. So we have the general members that are organizations managing open source policies and a strategy or with established OSPOS. Uh, that wants to support Tudu. We have like a charter of the uh, Tudu Group Journal members. There's also the OSPO associates that are organizations that they might not have an OSPO, but they somehow help the OSPO movement and wants to collaborate with other communities. One example can be different open source foundations or open source projects within LF or outside LF or open source communities helping OSPOs as well. And finally, we do have OSPO ambassadors. So just imagine that you are not part of an organization or your organization is not ready to for that commitment. You can also support Tudu as an individual. And we have ambassadors guidelines that we released like two months ago, the steering committee, that it's another important part of the Tudu group, created that ambassador framework and guidelines. And uh, we're really happy of the results and hopefully we will see new ambassadors soon. 
And uh, you mentioned that very briefly. Uh, how was that contribution ladder again? I mean, I guess level zero is you just read things uh, and beyond just reading things. Uh, how was that again? Yeah, so we have the observers. We do have a lot of observers in Turu that they use the resources. Maybe they somehow attend to some community calls, but that's all. And then we have the contributors that are people that actually search, ask for issues or submit pull requests on different projects. And finally, we do have the maintainers that I think they need to do like 10 pull requests in a period of time, and they can just request to become maintainer and be ready if they need to moderate any community call or any working group call and so on. But beyond that there is like no particular expectation from members or anything, right? Only if you want to become an approver or maintainer, you have to invest a certain level of, as you just said, I don't know, approve or merge or whatever, so and so many pull requests. Uh, but uh, apart from that, I can be a member of the to-do group and also not contribute. Yeah, so ideally we ask like if, you're not active in the community, they can step out and they can say that, but this is not mandatory. That is for organizations supporting the group, like general members, associates, and so on. For maintainers, I think there is like a requirements and they need to be active. I cannot now recall like the specific criteria, but uh, for contributors, there is indeed like some kind of commitment. They can step out, of course, but for general members, it's not mandatory. Okay, okay. I think I understand that. Let's maybe look at the process, uh, how it comes to any kinds of outputs, like the guides, for instance. From idea, somebody saying, oh, we should produce a guide on this and that, to the actual output. How does that work in such a partly organized, partly loosely organized community? Mm -hmm. So that's a really good question because in our past steering committee discussions that we aim to improve that process. So we now have GitHub discussions in one of on our most popular repo that is Ospology. And in there, the community can file issues and proposals. So one example is, for instance, the OSPO Japanese community wanted to create like an OSPO Japanese local meetup in native speaking. So uh, they submitted this proposal, like how it helps the OSPO ecosystem, how it helps the community, and also commit to having, I think it was, quarterly reports on how the community is evolving. So that is there in community proposals. Everyone can have access to it. The community can vote, can provide feedback and input, and then that is there to the steering committee for final approval. Basically, the steering committee will check if it's aligned to the mission. And if it's aligned, it's great to go. Like, initiatives are always great. Okay, so beyond the contributors and maintainers, I take it from you mentioning it right now, there is, of course, also a steering committee. Uh, who is on that? And I, I, I guess from what you just described, uh, it becomes clear what the steering committee does. Do we even deal with a suggested issue or don't we? Uh, and things like that, right? How do you get on the steering committee? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so every year, uh, the steering committee, they have seats for, I think it's two years period. And there are elections and then also appointments from the other steering committee members. So we have like two kinds of seats. And this is happening every year. In fact, I think in a week or so, I will send 
the call for nominations. So everyone that has a presence in the community that is active contributor can become a nominee by submitting a form that we serve. And I think it lasts like one month or two months or so. And then with those people, then the general members of the Tudor group vote for a person. So for the nominees, we ask, like, for instance, contributions that you have been doing in the past year, like, what have you been doing in the community? So then the general members have a better overview on, okay, I believe this person should be elected. And is that only done by this kind of voting or are there some fixed seats like there's always something from the Linux Foundation in the steering committee? Not really. So there is the appointment. So, for instance, the steering committee members that are right now serving vote for, I think it's one or two seats. Like, I believe this person that was a nominee can be elected and that is appointed by the steering committee members. Okay, let's maybe not get too deep into that. But concerning members still, anyhow, how does the to-do group grow? Like, how do you recruit? And I'm asking in front of the background uh, that I just mentioned Mercedes before, and I think I did not see them as a member of the to-do group so far. Although I do know they have a pretty strong OSPO and open source initiative. How would you go about, let's have Mercedes in the to-do group, for instance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as I mentioned, there are three kinds of ways you can support Tudu. So for instance, if you want to support Tudu as a general member because your organization have an OSPO, there's two criteria. I think it's being a Linux Foundation member is one of them. And then the other one will be to be committed to open source strategy and policies, like have someone, even if it's part-time or not, working on policies, processes, and a strategy on open source within the organization. It's curious you mentioned uh, Mercedes because I believe like, well, maybe they are not, sometimes it needs people to be contributing to Tudor Group. And sometimes even, you know, like we are contributing to so many open source projects. And sometimes it's like, yeah, I want to contribute, but I don't have the time to contribute. So maybe the, I know like some organizations that they really want to support Tudor, but they want to find the staff to actually contribute. And I guess uh, a lot of it is also maybe there hasn't been a strong touch point yet or anything. And that's just simply why. So it's rather organically how to-do group yeah. grows. Okay. How about you, though? For all I know, you are actually an employee of to-do group. How did you get there? Yeah, so I got an offer opportunity. I think it's been now almost two years. Well, one year and a half, maybe. I, I don't remember. But so it was the role of OSPO program manager. That is my official role right now. But in uh, technically, I do a lot of stuff. I do like, yes, community management, but I also do project manager, trying to keep the repos clean, updated, automating process to ease contributions. That is my major role to help others to make their lives easier, contributing to the, to the resources, putting order into chaos and encouraging contributions to keep building the staff together. Does that role of you, does that mean you're automatically on the steering committee or not? I help the steering committee. I'm not part of the steering committee, but the steering committee meets with the program manager that it's my role. And for instance, I prepare the agenda. I make sure like all the questions, issues are raised and organize all that. 
Okay, so you're not a member, but you're the facilitator and the moderator of it. Yeah, correct. All right, I understand. And uh, are there any other employees of To-Do Group? Not full-time. So I was the first, when I was hired, they told me, like, To-Do Group didn't have, at that point, any, like, full-time employee because it was a community-driven effort. It still is a community-driven effort, but now I have, like, one full-time person trying to help on their task. Although I have, like, the LF support, like, for instance, if... We need engineering support or marketing support. I can reach out to people in the LF team, but they are not working directly to Tudo. I'm like the linchpin in between the open source community that is Tudo Group and the wider Linux Foundation ecosystem. Makes total sense. And I don't mean the following completely serious, but anyway, everyone out there, meet Anna. She is the to-do group. <laughs> or, <laughs> or at least the only full-time employee. That's why I'm saying that. Anyway... With that role, what would you say in the long run, um, what are the strategic goals, if you could make them, or as far as you're aware of them, the long-term vision of To-Do Group? Yeah, so one of the repos is called Governance Repo. So everything we've talked about, the general membership, the charter, and so on, all of that is public. The people can find it in the Governance Repo. And in there, you will find also that we uh, develop yearly goals. So our three goals are based in cultivate growth and adoption of OSPOs, grow the Tudor community, and create value for community participants and uh, OSPO associate general members and ambassadors. And as you have now mentioned the governance repo, uh, one of many, I assume, uh, famous before last question, uh, where do people go if they're interested to learn more? Like, there may be some obvious websites. Is there any secret tips that you'd give them? Um, so the website's a great space. There is a page that is called tutorgroup.org slash community. And if you want to get us started, we had onboarding guidelines for both community members and uh, general members. Uh, so I think that it's a great place to start. It will give you like an overview on all the different channels, working groups, and workflow that we follow. Uh, and of course, the uh, to-do GitHub repo organization that has like all the different repos, it's also a great place. And the Slack channel that we use uh, as a real-time chat conversations. Oh, and um, by the way, uh, one of the things we are doing with the OSPO associates that are supporting Tudu as open source foundations and projects and so on is the OSPOlogy Live uh, microconference series. Uh, those are a collaborative effort uh, across different foundations and uh, communities helping the OSPO movement in Europe. Uh, and we have one coming in October from 10 to 11th in Germany, Ospology Live Germany. So the main themes are uh, focused on advanced open source and inner source best practices, uh, always under the lens of an OSPO. And uh, we are really grateful that SAP is hosting uh, this uh, microconference event that has part-time presentations and also part-time roundtable sessions to connect OSPOers and also OSPO practitioners from both regional and um, global spheres. And we will, of course, as usual, have all the most important links published with the publication of this podcast. Um, last but not least, uh, 
the usual question about what are your three, maybe four main things, key takeaways that you would want everyone to remember from this episode? Mm -hmm. So the first one is that uh, I believe to the group can be a, a great place for people willing to learn more on open source prom offices and gain experience with open source prom offices. You don't have to be within an organization. You can be a student also willing to help to get started or change roles in your open source career. We always welcome the community. And that to do, you can get your ideas getting started. It's a collaborative hub uh, to build uh, open source problem office best practices and, and you can become a contributor. And I know I said two, but I think that's enough. <laughs> I think that covers well all what I wanted to say. <laughs> all right. If that's enough, then uh, thank you very much, Ada, for being our guest today. It was nice to have you here. Yeah, and, and thank you so much, I have to say, to all the uh, organizing team for inviting me. It has been great and, and, and great chat. Thank you. Thank you all. You are more than welcome. And thank you out there for listening to The Open Source Way. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it and don't miss the next one. Usually we publish every last Wednesday of the month. You'll find us on Open SAP and in most of those places where you find your other podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, and the likes. Thanks again and bye-bye. <laughs>